Today's passage will be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. We'll be reading the call of the Apostle Matthew, or Levi, as the Gospel of Mark and Luke calls them, in Mark 2 and in Luke 5. The call happened in the city of Capernaum, which is called by Jesus his own city and can be rightly thought of as his headquarters. And as we go through the passage, we'll see that God is the caller and the judge who calls the sinner by his word and spirit. We are only an instrument in that call. Like the piano, we have to have God's outside force in us for us to be the instrument of his call. And before we come to the text, I'd like to bring your attention to the context in which this passage is set. Now, the Bible is not known for its chronological order, but the order is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And within the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the call of Matthew slash Levi is placed in the midst of events that shows Jesus' healing powers and authority to forgive sins. The most, one of the most memorable passages is Jesus' healing of the paralytic. And in all gospel, in all three of the synoptic gospels, before we come to the call, we read these words. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Wise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they was afraid in the glory of God who had given such authority to men. The call of Matthew slash Levi is especially placed to highlight the power and authority of Christ to forgive sins. Now let us look to the Word of God, starting in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 9. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, 
and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And there ends the reading of God's holy word. O Lord, we come before you, O Lord, knowing of my inabilities, of my lacking to preach your word, that only you can feel, that only you have the power to do. Lord, I ask that my voice would not be hard, but that the Holy Spirit would speak through me, that this sermon would be edifying for your people and your church, that it would bring glory to your holy name, be pleasing in your sight, that the words of this would give you glory and would be praising to you so that we may better know you, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was uh, going over this, I was reminded of a friend of mine in North Carolina, Taylor. And to be honest, I'm not sure that his wife always cared that we hung out because we, we brought out the child in each other. And we would always, it's not that we'd get in trouble, but well, if we went, say we went fishing, somebody was going to end up in the water. It, it, it was kind of a given. We would bring out the child in each other and play around. But there always came a time where we would have to quit and take responsibility for our own actions. Me, whenever I would have to go to walk him with his wife and child. But the time came where we, we couldn't blame it on each other. We knew that it was us who was fooling around and just being a child, a grown child, <laughs> pretty much. As we, we, as we go through this passage, there's three points I'd like to point out. The first one, we're going to focus on the call itself. Second, why Christ came. And thirdly, so what does it mean for us? The third point, not that nice and it's warning, but it gets the job done. It's simple and to the point. The, there's a question up on your screen right now. Is it ever good to be a sinner? Now remember this question as we go through, and I'll have a clear answer for you at the end of this. Now we come to our false point, the call. Within this passage, we focus and we see a part of the formula of the scriptures with all scriptures make the doctrines that we follow and that we believe, our statements of faith, and so forth. And this passage is part of the formula, per se, that builds up the doctrine of effectual calling and the doctrine of the gospel call or the, or the external call. And in this passage, we'll see the effectual call and the gospel call or the external call, but also refer to as the general call. 
In theology, we like to give a lot of names for one thing. As we look at the effectual calling, so what is effectual calling? The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 10, paragraph 1, all those whom God has predestined unto life and those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit. Now, the paragraph is quite longer than that, but to save time, we'll only focus on the false two lines. And that's what's on the screen. I do advise you to go back and read it later on, though, when you have time. So, effectual calling in this passage. Jesus says to the disciple, or soon-to-be disciple, follow me. And the disciple rose and followed him. Not a hesitation, but the effectual call that cannot be torn down. That is an example of God's irresistible grace to the sinners. So who does God call? Well, first we'll look at Matthew or Levi, which... Levi means attached in harmony, and Matthew, gift of Yahweh. So the apostle attached in harmony as a gift of God to the world. And so, and Matthew is most notably remembered as the tax collector. And one thing that hasn't changed too much in the 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth, nobody really cares for tax collectors. <laughs> it, it's a little different now. We more focus on the government and not the parson themselves. But it's hard to see that in that time of fog and distress that we're in. And it may just be their job, but we can have trouble seeing that it's just their job. Well, the tax collector back in the day of Jesus is a lot different than our tax collector of today. They didn't get hired because of a resume or they was good at their job. They had to throw in a bid to the Roman officials and then they had to hope that they was chosen to become the tax collector. And they was authorized by the Roman officials to collect a certain amount for them. But how they actually made their money off their job was by collecting extras from the people, and that was their paycheck. They was grouped together with murderers and thieves. They was hated by the community. The Jewish community saw it as a betrayal to God to walk for the op for the controlling government of the Romans. They saw it as a betrayal to their own community by stealing and being a thief to their own community and by raising taxes. But how did Jesus see the tax collector? Jesus saw Matthew the Apostle. He saw a man in need of his saving grace. 
he saw a man that he would use to spread his gospel around the street and across the world. And as the Lord said to Isaiah and to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. John Calvin, one of the most notable theologians in our denomination, says this according to this verse. It was the intention of Christ to choose simple and ignorant persons to the rank in order to cast down the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world being that man thinking we have any wisdom without God. But it's, just, but it's not just Matthew the tax collector that the Pharisees call out in this passage. They call out the tax collectors and sinners. And we know that Jesus was reclining and eating with a, a good enough amount of people to where Luke calls it a banquet or a dinner party. And now we come to the gospel call. The gospel call is when the word of God is preached to anyone, anywhere, by any means, but is not effective unless God effectually calls that sinner unto himself. And all throughout the scriptures, we see warnings of befriending sinners, of eating with people. In Proverbs 22, verses 24 through 25, we read, Make no friendship with the man given in to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you lawn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual malady or greed, or is an idolater, reveler, drunker, or swindler, not even to eat with such one. But we see Jesus here eating with tax collectors, eating with sinners. In Matthew 9.10, the difference we see in these verses, well, for one in Proverbs, we see not to let unless you get entangled, unless you follow down the same path. It's a warning to not let people lead you down a path of temptation that will lead you unto sin. In 1 Corinthians, in that context, what Paul is talking about is not sinners on the outside. He's talking about people of the church, those who profess faith, who go against the word and the law of God constantly while professing faith. Neither one of the passages is speaking of a random sinner we may meet in a grocery store, in a restaurant, or at work. 
So why invite tax collectors and sinners to recline with Christ? Well, from the Gospel of Luke, we know that this is the Apostle Matthew's house. Now, him being a tax collector, like I was speaking earlier, is shunned by the community. They would not have come to him. They would not have done anything with him at all. But the only people who would come to him and would be with him would be other tax collectors and sinners, those who were shunned by the Jewish community, by the religious community of the day. And a question that arose in my mind as I was going through this, Psalm 5, 4 and 6, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty, the deceitful man. But we see Christ eating with tax collectors and sinners. Here. Well, we know it was Matthew slash Levi who invited them. And as we come to this, well, I would like to think anyway, if, if I met Christ, I would want to invite somebody to come and meet him. If I met him. Or maybe I just want somebody to come to make sure I'm not crazy. <laughs> my, my call to the ministry went a little bit the same way. And you can ask Dr. Mark, there's a few times I've come to him after reading something, wondering if I'm going a little bit crazy from time to time. Either way, that's what the disciple did. He invited people to recline with Christ. And here we see Jesus extending the general call of the gospel. He's not following in the path of sinners. Christ is sharing the good news. He's sharing himself with the tax collectors and sinners. Because Jesus loves sinners. And as we come in the passage, we see the Pharisees upset with that fact that Jesus is reclining with sinners. And that is because there is a separation of the religious from the sinner. Now this separation is still true today, though it's a little bit harder for us to do so because, as I said earlier, we walk with non-believers. We eat with them. We, they're in our grocery stores. We cannot go a day unless, well, maybe during this pandemic, whenever we was all cooped up in our house, without meeting someone who more likely was a non-believer. Now, I'd like everyone to think for a second. If a well-known religious person is trying to invite you to dinner, what would you do? Would you answer the phone call to begin with? If you, we've seen them in public, would we walk to the other side of the street to walk away? How about if they walked in this very church? How do we as believers in Christ treat the outcast of the world? John Calvin, again, another quote from him. 
has this to say about this boss. Now, if we feel disgust at being associated by baptism and the Lord's Supper with vile men and regard our connection with them as a sort of stain upon us, we ought immediately to descend into ourselves and search without flattery our own evils. Now, I, I personally am thankful, very thankful and blessed to be born at a time after Christ's death and resurrection, after the publication of the scriptures. My initial thought, if I were to see Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, the God-man sitting with sinners, I'd be a little babbled in the head. Shouldn't you be at the highest castle with the finest robes, the best meals, the best of everything, and all the glory that this world has to offer? Well, that is the wisdom of man. That is the foolishness of man without the wisdom of God. In order to know why Christ came, we must look to the word of God contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to tell us why he came. Which leads to our second point. Why did Christ come? And as we come to this, we look in our scriptures and continue to read for the answers. And we see that the Pharisees ask this same question to Christ in a different way, but why are you eating with them? And though he did not ask the the Pharisees did not ask Christ directly, he answered them by way of reproof. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Here, Christ is not talking about an illness of the body, but the spiritual illness. That whenever we are separated from our Lord and Creator. The Pharisees and the scribes, keepers of the word of God, apparently knew the word of God. And as we know, they well have known that the word of God is the spiritual medicine. And the irony in this passage is that those who thought that they was healthy spiritually, the Pharisees, they mistook themselves as the judge and the caller to declare who is righteous and who is not. But thanks to the context we have read up to this point in the Gospels, we know that Jesus has the power of healing and the authority to forgive sins. One of the many names ascribed to our Lord is that of Great Physician. And in the hospitals, they have what they call a code blue, which is when a patient is on the verge of dying and every person trained to save lives is allotted and they rush to that patient's womb in order to revive them or keep them alive. Jesus, the great physician, 
is in the operating room at that dinner party or banquet. And the sinners are his patients. For those who do not know Christ, there is a constant code blue. They are in a constant state of death. For we do not know the coming, the second coming of Christ. We do not know when he will judge the world. So all those who do not know Christ and have that personal relationship, faith in him, are at a constant code blue, a constant state of death. And he is the great physician who is calling his children, the tax collectors and the sinners. They are the exact reason he is here. They are his patients that he has came to save. And as we read on, we see these words, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Here, Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. And tells the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the word of God, to go and learn what this means. And during the time of the prophet Hosea, the people was forsaking God and transgressing his covenant with his people. And we read this in Hosea 6, 6-7. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. The people have broken the law of God and are not faithful to him. But from the text, in the context, we can gather that they are still following the traditions, making sacrifices in the temple to the Lord. But God says he desires mercy in the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. Paul tells us in Romans 3.20 that from the knowledge, from the walks of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Jesus is reclining at the table, and he is the living Lord, the Word of God. He is always teaching something to us. So by Jesus reclining at that table, teaching the tax collectors and sinners, he is showing them mercy. They are learning the knowledge of God by being with the God-man. Jesus has came down from his heavenly throne to call and to save sinners. Because he loves sinners. He is showing mercy to them by teaching them the word of God. As the Pharisees and the scribes did not understand what Jesus meant by going on, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus clarifies just what he means as who the Son of God has come. To call. And we read in verse 13 Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. To call here in this verse, in this passage, is speaking of both 
the effectual calling and the general call of the gospel. The effectual calling being God's irresistible call, his irresistible grace shown to his children. The general call, the cause that goes out to all, though not all have the ability to answer. It is God who calls the sinners and gives the sinner the ability to have faith in Christ. For nothing we have done or ever will do, for it is by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. And it is not always who we think will or should be called that is called. So we must never think we know who will be called by God. Our duty is to have our eyes open to all individuals, to share the gospel with all individuals, no matter their rank in society, whether they're an outcast or someone included in our groups. Every single person on this earth that we will ever know, meet, or hear about is a person to us that can and may be saved by God, by His Lord, and His Spirit. God is the caller and the judge who calls the sinner by His Lord and Spirit. We are only the instrument in that call. God calls all who He has predestined unto eternal life by the Lord and the Spirit. God has given us His children, His Lord, and made us instruments that He uses to call sinners to Himself by His Lord and His Spirit. So what does this mean for us? So what do we gain from this passage? Well, we apply the doctrine. Applying the doctrine that we gain answers our so what questions. First, we see the revelation of God. We see that God is irresistible and irrefutable in His grace. Like the apostle, when someone is called by the Lord, they get up and follow Him. There is no question. We see that only those God is pleased to call and for nothing they did or forever will do and that they are likely not to be the person that is called. We see the sinner called at God's appointed and accepted time. The apostle Matthew lived in Capernaum walked at, was a tax collector at the shore for trays coming in and out. He would have seen Christ performing miracles, forgiving sins, healing the sick. Yet it was not until God called him and said, follow me, was he given the ability to get up and to follow Christ. Next, we see how we are to live. Jesus here, he reproofs our pride. Just because we know of God and experience his general grace 
There was no advantage for us. We must know God internally in our hearts. There must be a acknowledgement of sins and humility when approaching the Lord. The Lord is calling us to repentance here. For from the knowledge of God comes the consciousness of sin, which leads all who believe unto repentance. As knowers of the word of God, we are the instruments in which God uses to heal others by his word, which means we must be like the physician and go after the sick to take the holy word of God to them, their only hope for life everlasting. As we can tell by the Pharisees and the scribes, there are many who do not even realize that they are sick. And this goes for all of us, in and outside of the church. Only God chooses who will be called. Our eyes must be open to all, to spread the gospel to all. This is a call for us to open our doors to sinners, to eat with them, to recline with them, to build a relationship with them with the end goal of discipleship. Always with that end goal, to lead them to the Lord through His Word. And as Christ told the apostles, He will make them fishers of men. And I've used this before. If you ever go fishing, you know there's a reason they call it fishing, not catching. If you've been with me the past couple of times, all I've been doing is fishing. I haven't been catching nothing. So, and like here, we'll be fishers of men. We will not always catch. There will be some that will continue to go. But we, we must always take the war, take the gospel of Christ to the sinners to give it to them with that end goal of discipleship of Christ. And now we come back to the question, is it ever good to be a sinner? No, it's not good to be a sinner. No, don't, don't, don't even think that. No, it's not. It is necessary, necessary to acknowledge that we are sinners. And that Christ has came to call sinners. And that Christ loves sinners. Let us not forget that all of our good deeds are a walk of the Spirit. Not of us. That we litter them with sin. That we mess everything up. The Pharisees... Though they was righteous and obeyed the law, or though they thought they was righteous and obeyed the law, that is impossible for man to do. God was shows us our sin, and by learning just how holy, holy, holy is our Lord, we become more aware of our own inequalities and inequities. And we gain the knowledge that we must depend on God's grace daily. Every day, every minute, and every second. Depending on nothing but the Lord.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lord, we know that we have sinners. We know that you have the only healing power for our disease, for our illness. That we are born in the darkness. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is the life-giving, the living water that quenches our thirst. Lord, we thank you for Christ, for he came to call the sinners. He came to call us. Not for anything we have done, but that you was pleased to call us and to send him. Lord, we give you thanks and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.